Hey, this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around the Silks. This is the Expecting Ariel's podcast now with the Digital Family of Podcasts. How's it going, guys? Uh, wonderful to have you here. Before we get started today, uh, lots of stuffing at Wrap Your Head Around the Silks. Um, roll it out, our 60-minute virtual live rolling classes uh, attached attacking all the aerialist problems so uh, we have a class on Sunday and Tuesdays and then your portal that you can access all the videos and so I would love to have you all of these, these things in, in my doctor game yeah Bean got a new app last night she was so excited she was jumping on the bed um yeah so and then it was awesome <laughs> And then there's a bunch of free resources that I, I put up on the website. So even if you've been there before, check it out. And uh, today we are doing part two of Nina Sandberg. So Nina is the woman who uh, went through a lot and she knew she wanted to have a second kid and they ended up going with a surrogate. And this is their story. So uh, this is so intriguing. Yeah. I ask all the questions that are in, like, the back of my mind that I don't even want to ask because it sounds terrible. But I ask them because I'm not the only one who has these questions. So uh, Nina gracefully answers them all. And uh, and she's currently now juggling having a toddler and an infant in-house. But uh, thank you, Nina, for being here, for being vulnerable, telling us your story. And let's get started. Is it quiet in your house right now? For the moment, yes, but we don't, I don't, I, I sh I'm fine, so I, the baby's napping, but when she wakes up, her dad's ready to like jump on it, so yeah. I'm hiding out in the four-year-old's bedroom. This is the only room in the house that's somewhat private, and my four-year-old doesn't even like use this bedroom right now, which is so frustrating. She like plays in here, she doesn't sleep in here, <laughs> and um, yeah. So anyway, this is becoming the place that I go when I need like a little bit of quiet time. <laughs> so are both kids in the bed with you? No. Oh, okay. So um, it's actually kind of, I'm just like kind of frustrated with the setup, but it's actually working really well. Like um, Raph and I like made all the mistakes the first time around um, and basically neither of us slept with the four-year-old. And so this time around he was like, I am not letting you get sleep deprived again because I don't want to deal with you being sleep deprived. And so what's happening now is the older one is sleeping upstairs in the bed with me and Raph is sleeping downstairs with the baby. So because she's not breastfed, she's bottles. So he's doing the night, the night feeds. And ever since we brought her home, he's on night duty. <laughs> it's been really wonderful. <laughs> oh my God, this is... <laughs> like a revelation uh, it was definitely a revelation for us um and like honestly it's I've slept pretty much a full eight hours like most nights since she's been born but then in the morning it's like but then in the morning I'm like juggling both of them I have to get the older one to school get the baby fed because he needs to catch up on sleep because he hasn't slept like the night before so I have to say she's the baby's been a pretty good sleeper like I think we're a lot more relaxed this time around so she's definitely like we're not, I don't know. I feel like I needed to hear every sound that the older one made like through her first year and it was keeping me up and probably keeping her up. And with this one, we're just a lot more like 
put her somewhere where we don't hear her <laughs> or hear most of the noises that she makes. Um, and she ends up, she's ended up being kind of like a better sleeper. So like at this point, she's four and a half months old and she has slept through the night completely, like maybe five times, like, like that never happened with my older one ever. She didn't sleep through the night completely until she was like past one. And like, even still, she would like wake up and do like a shriek in the middle of the night sometimes, like after age one. And like the, this baby has, yeah, by four and a half months, I would say five, not consecutive nights, never consecutive nights, but occasionally we like wake up in the morning and we're like, whoa, she made it all the way through the night. So yeah, it's, I mean, I just had that thought this morning mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's three and a half. I was like, uh-huh. oh, well, she's coughing. She's sick. So she yeah. didn't, she didn't cough through the night. And I was like, um, oh, yeah, slightly better, even though she still has this deep cough. And yeah. She didn't wake up doing it. So, Ugh. yeah. So I guess it just doesn't go away. Oh, look at this bean. Poor kiddo. Yeah. She does not look happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm in the bed. So I have this setup, listeners, where I have the laptop and all the wires connected to the microphone. And we do it bedside. And she's got her iPad and her, her little headphones on. She looks miserable, but also slightly okay. Yeah, it's your headphones. She's happy that you're with her. Yeah. Who bought it? I bought them. Thank you, Mom. She said, thank you, Mom. Aww. <laughs> So this is our check-in with Nina. So a while ago, she came on to talk about her mental process and emotional process of deciding to go with the surrogate because she had some losses after her daughter was born. And it was just really like your body just didn't want your body refused to have another baby. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That was really not even an option. I didn't really when my doctor was like, do you want to talk about trying again? I was like, no, I can't like just no, nothing left. So yeah, (laughs) the surrogate was the only option. (laughs) Let's talk about, so uh, over the months I get a text from Nina and she's like, surrogate has a low lying placenta. No surrogate had complete placenta previa. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. it was covering covering. So, um, I, okay. yeah, let here, I'll, I'll sort of back it up to, um, yeah, please. where we ended our, our last episode was, I think we had been through like the IVF process. We got our embryos. We had, you know, we found our surrogate. We were all excited. Um, we did, we transferred, she got pregnant. It was all just like wonder, wonderful. You know, we were, I was like, okay, she's pregnant. I, mean, I was nervous because she was, it was early. Um, but you know, it was like, okay, we got, we got a baby like kind of on the way. Um, and so it was going great. And uh, I just, in my mind was like, oh, it's not my body anymore. This is going to be great. No big deal. It's going to be perfect. I'll get that perfect baby that I've been trying so hard to get. Um, and so my surrogate lived in Georgia. I think I mentioned this last, last time. So she was a, like a plane ride across the country. Um, but we talked every day and we texted. Um, and the first time that I went out there was for her 20 week ultrasound. So I was like, oh, how fun the 20 week ultrasound. I'm just going to like hop on a plane, fly over for two days. I'm going to go with her to the appointment, see the ultrasound. It's going to be wonderful. And so I go with her to the appointment and 
they go in to um, do the, they go in to do the thing <laughs> and it's fun. And at the end, the tech is like, um, the doctor will talk to you about this, but your placenta is covering your cervix. And <laughs> we were like, oh, okay. Uh, so after, after the ultrasound, you know, they send you in to talk to the doctor and I was like, it's going to be okay. Like Carrie talks about placenta preview all the time. and it was fine for Carrie no big deal and the doctor's like so you have complete placenta preview they're like it is only 20 weeks so there is a small chance that it can resolve but she said that with a low-lying placenta there's a much better chance that it resolves um but a complete previa at 20 weeks is unlikely to resolve (laughs) so um so she was basically like so we're gonna check you again at 32 weeks um and see where it's at and basically if it hasn't moved and it's still covering your cervix we're scheduling a c-section for 37 weeks that's it no questions like the baby cannot we can't let it get to a point where you um have bleeding or your cervix starts to change it's just not safe so we're taking the baby out at 37 weeks and that's where that's where we were at 20 at 20 weeks was that was what happened after the 20 ultrasound so um yeah complete previa um so yeah <laughs> so you were how, how are how are you feeling I mean um how are you feeling at the moment so okay so it was weird I like when they got the news in my mind I was doing all this like telling myself oh it's all good this is gonna be fine whatever um we leave the appointment and I go back to my hotel and I literally had like a meltdown like all that trauma like just came like flooding back about like oh my god I'm gonna be losing another baby like this baby's gonna have to come out in the 20 something week range and I'm gonna have a baby that's like you know either like gonna not make it or gonna make it and is gonna have lifelong issues like I just fell back into that hole (laughs) completely. Um, So I flew home and um, my surrogate was actually had her own sort of meltdown about it, but she was actually okay. She was super brave. I'm like so proud of her because like it wasn't even my body, but obviously I had so much trauma and she was, I mean, she's sitting there facing like this ticking time bomb situation of complete placenta previa. Um, so she and I talked a lot over the like next week to kind of like help each other through it. Um, and I, um, I ended up like contacting, I, I had this therapist that I worked with when I had my miscarriages that was like really, she like specializes in things around like pregnancy loss and, um, like, like early child, like, uh, early infant loss. And she wrote a book about it and whatever. And she really helped me through like my hard times. So anyway, I got back from that ultrasound and I was like, I think I need you to like, get me through the next like eight to 10 weeks. Cause I'm like struggling. So, um, so anyway, I like sort of tried to take care of myself as best as possible and, um, things went pretty well. Like we didn't, you know, the pregnancy progressed, the previa didn't, she didn't have another ultrasound until 28 weeks, but there was no hiccups. Um, and we got, you know, we got through those next like eight or 10 weeks, um, and so by the time we hit third trimester, I kind of started to calm down because everyone was like, okay, you know, if anything happens, cause it was basically the kind of thing, like the baby had to be born by C-section. And if she had any kind of bleeding prior to 37 weeks, they were just going to have to take the baby out. Like it was just, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like the placenta, if, 
if her cervix starts to change and she, her placenta starts bleeding, it's not good for her. It's not good for the baby. Um, so the baby just has to come out. So it, it, there was just no, there's no waiting. They don't just sit, or la- sit around and let her bleed. Um, so basically, you know, we made it to third trimester, no hiccups, everything was fine. I started to calm down and it was sort of like, okay, if anything goes wrong, we're now in kind of like a safe zone, you know, the baby's probably going to be okay. Um, I was still a little scared, um, but it was okay. I was really okay. I was like, this is somebody else's body, not my own. So, um, um, should I just keep, should I just keep rolling through the the saga? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Just stop me if, if you have any questions about it. But so, um, so we got to, we got to the 30 week mark. And then it was kind of around Christmas time and it was like, everyone was excited. We had a, we had our C-section schedule around the 28 week mark. They checked her again. She still had complete previa. They were like, all right, we're scheduling your C-section for 37 weeks. So the C-section was scheduled for February 10th. Um, and my birthday is February 11th. And I was like, oh, really? Like, really? Am I going to have to share my baby, my baby's birthday? Like, um, I kind of really wasn't so into that idea, but, um, I was like, fine, fine. I'll share my birthday. Um, anyway, so we had that all planned and it's coming up on Christmas time and it was like, all was good. And January 4th ish, a couple days after new year's, I wake up to a text message from my surrogate saying that she's bleeding and she was at 31 weeks and six days. So, so she's like, I'm heading to the hospital right now. Cause her doctor had said like, it was a total emergency. If uh, if she had any bleeding, she had to go straight to the hospital. And, um, she, uh, basically went to the hospital and they did all the stuff as if they were going to have to take the baby out. They gave her steroids. They had her on all the monitors. Um, and they let her go for about 24 hours. And after 24 hours, the bleeding stopped. Um, and they kept her in the hospital for four more days and they kept monitoring her and kept checking her and making sure she wasn't bleeding, making sure she wasn't having contractions. They put her on a a medication that is, that's like a, I think it's a blood pressure medication, but it's supposed to help her not have contractions. So at this point, she's right around the 32 week mark. So babies can totally be born at 32 weeks. And for the most part, they are fine. Um, but it's still super scary to think about. Um, and so I, um, I called her doctor somewhere in the midst of this. She, when she was in the hospital, I called her doctor and I was like, if, if this seems like it's turning South, like, can you let me know immediately so I can like get on a plane and like get there? Cause I want to be there. Like when the baby is born and the doctor was like super straight with me and was like, you know, in these situations, like if she has more bleeding, I'm going to have to take the baby out and I can't wait. Like 12 hours for you to get here. So she was like, yeah, she was like, she was like, is there any way you could just be in Georgia for the next month, you know, while we wait, wait this out. And that way you can be sure that you're here. Cause she's like, otherwise I can't really guarantee you anything. And I was like, um, if that's what it has to be, then that's what we'll do. So I, um, I, and I have a four-year-old at home. So I left the four-year-old home with her dad and grandparents and I went to Georgia (laughs) and I basically like rented a house. I rented a car and I hung out. I was working. I was basically just like, I will just be here until I need to be here. Um, because I just wasn't willing to miss it. Like 
after everything I had been through, I just really wanted to like be as close to in the room as I could possibly be um, for her to be born. Cause I don't know. I just, it's like a really amazing of part course. of the journey. And I just didn't want to think about trying to travel across the country. Like while like my kid is being born in some emergency crash C-section, C like that just sounded like horrible. So, um, so what ended up happening was I went out to Georgia, I rented a house and a car and it was actually like wonderful. Like for the, for like for a couple of weeks, I just, you know, had the house to myself. I did things I haven't done in years. I worked out every day. I cooked myself dinner every night. I watched Netflix. I did all kinds of like wonderful self-care. It was so amazing having like no husband, partner, no child, um, and so what, it was really stressful because at that point it was early January and our drop dead date was February 10th when she had to be born. So I was like, I might be here for a month and I have a four-year-old at home. And so I was totally freaked out about like, do I need to like get my four-year-old out here with me to visit? Like I can't leave her for like a month. Um, so yeah, it was all like, like super stressful. Um, and lo and behold, uh, uh, the baby ended up being born two weeks after I got there. Um, so it was actually a really wonderful, amazing thing. And I was so happy that I was there. So I, so the, the bleeding episode happened at 32 weeks. Um, we thought everything after that was fine. My surrogate went home. She, she was supposed to be on like kind of bed rest, but she could go for like late walks and we, she and I got together and I went with her to a doctor's appointment, an ultrasound. And her doctor was like, you know, maybe we're going to make it to the 37 week mark. It's things are looking good. You, you might. Could, could be okay. Um, and so um, what ended up happening was it was a Friday night. She was 34 weeks in one day. I had been out for dinner. Um, strangely enough, I actually have a friend who lives in the same town as her. So I was out for dinner with a friend. Um, we sat down, we ordered, I look at my phone, there's a text message on it that says, I'm bleeding, I'm on my way to the hospital. We're at 34 weeks in one day. So for some reason, when we hit the 34 week mark, I really started to like calm down. Like I was like, I, I have this cousin who's a pediatrician. He was like, oh, 34 weeks onward, you're totally good. They can do everything. They can breathe. They can do everything. Like they might spend some time in the NICU, but like, they're going to be completely fine. I was like, okay, cool. And I actually have two friends who had twins at 34 weeks. And so I kind of saw their whole journeys and I know their kids and I know their kids are fine. So I really calmed down at the 34 week mark. So 34 weeks in one day, I sit down to order. I get a text message. It's like eight o'clock at night. Um, she's like, I'm bleeding. I'm on my way to the hospital. And I'm like, Oh, uh Oh. Um, and so I leave my dinner. I go and I jump in the car. I call her from the car and she's like, they're prepping me for the C-section. And I'm like, okay, I'm on my way. So I get there and, um, and there's nobody at the hospital, totally empty was beautiful parked like right out front of the hospital <laughs> um walked walked in I get to the pre-op area there's a doctor on call so unfortunately her doctor was like really into our case like her doctor loved that it was this whole like surrogate um intended mother situation and like was really but her her doctor was actually like out on leave that day so we had to like we had this on-call doctor who ended up being like fantastic um and he pulled me aside and he was like you know 34 weeks is a fine time to have a baby. And, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable with you coming in for the C-section if you, if you want to be in the OR. And I was like, uh, hell yeah, I want to be in the OR for the C-section because you're only allowed 
one person, right? So my surrogate wanted obviously her boyfriend to be her support person with her for the C-section. And so the doctor was like, I'm perfectly comfortable with you coming in. He's like, this is an emergency situation. I got to take the baby out, but this isn't a crash. He said, we have some time. We have a few hours. We're setting up the OR. We're doing good here. Like, this is great. We're having a baby. Everything's good. And so in my mind, I had always thought that in this situation we were in, that she would be born and they would just whisk her away to the NICU and I would not even get to see her or not get to hold her. And that's like not at all what happened. So they prepped her for the C-section, they took her in the OR, and then her um, boyfriend and I like, you know, scrubbed up, like put on our suits and like we go in and I'm sitting kind of at the head of the bed um, with her boyfriend and chatting with the anesthesiologist. It was actually a nurse anesthetist. He was so fantastic. The whole team was so fantastic. I had, I, because I didn't have a C-section with my older one, it was so cool to like see the whole thing. And I just think a C-section is like a really incredibly wonderful way to give birth after seeing what I saw. Um, And so I, at the, at the point that they're about to take the baby out, the nurses kind of call me over and they're like, do you want to come? Do you want to come like over on, on this, on this side? You want to see like, and, and I'm like, yeah, totally. I do. Um, so I come over to the other side where they're like operating and the nurses are like, get your camera, get your camera out. They're about to pull the baby out. And I'm like, are you crazy? Okay. <laughs> like, this is crazy. So I pull the camera out and I'm taking pictures and I watch and the doctor like ever so swiftly. And I had listened to all your podcasts of your wonderful doctor that explained all the stuff. Dr. Janae. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Janae's podcast. And so I knew kind of exactly what was going on and it happened exactly like that. Like d- definitely like hand in, pull the head out. And she comes that they pull her, they pull her out and I'm taking pictures of the whole thing. And she's, it's like a perfectly beautiful, normal birth. You know, they pull her out. She's crying. It's like, it's like the same, it's the same as like a vaginal delivery. Um, The same. I mean, from my perspective, I just was like, this is like such a beautiful birth. Like, it's not what I imagined. I think I imagined like surgery and, um, and maybe because I wasn't the one being operated on, but like, it was just, it was really amazing. And the nurse anesthetist took such good care of my surrogate and she was super comfortable through the whole thing. He had her drugged up just perfectly so that she was comfortable. It was easy. He was very communicative with her and was like, you know, how are you feeling? You're about to feel a little nauseous. If it doesn't go away, tell me. And he was so good with her. Um, and she, I think was super relaxed because she knew she didn't have to like deal with the baby on the other side you know she just had to get through it um and her boyfriend was there with her so they pull the baby out she's crying she's perfect she's perfect even though she's 34 weeks um and so they take her over to the little table and they're wiping her down and the nurse is like here you can cut the cord so the nurse like helps me cut her cord um they like wrap her up she's like the apgar her apgar scores look great she's doing really good she weighed five pounds six ounces which is like a great size for a 34 weeker um and you know they they wrap her up they give her to me she's crying i don't know if you hear but um uh so they give her to me and i'm walking her around the or i'm showing her to the doctors i'm showing her to my surrogate and her boyfriend everybody's just like oh my god she's so perfect this is so great blah blah like everyone's just it's this whole beautiful you know, it's like was the birth experience that I just thought I wasn't going to get to have because I thought I had given it up by having a surrogate have the baby for me. But because it was just such a beautiful group of people and like kind of a really nice way that it was a C-section, it was sort of scheduled. We knew it was going to happen that way. We didn't know exactly when, but 
it was just a really, really amazing birth experience. And I actually feel really like happy that I got the birth experience, even though I didn't give the, I didn't give birth, but I was totally there, totally in the room. And when with surrogacy, the way that it happens is like, as soon as the baby's out, it is yours. Like they slap a bracelet on the baby and it has your name on it. And you know, we were, we were, she was mine from that point onward. And so, um, she ended up having to go to the NICU, but not right away. So they sent her to the nursery. It was really cool because they, I put her, you know, I was carrying around the OR for like a while, showing her off and then put her in the little bassinet and I wheeled her down to the nursery. And so they put her in, um, one of those, you know, little warming little beds in the nursery. And there was like a glass window in between me and her. And, um, I was, you know, I FaceTimed with my family and I was like FaceTiming, you know, her dad and the grandparents and her sister. And we were like, this is, this is it. This is her. We told her them what her name was. And it was like really a nice moment. So, um, yeah, that was her birth. Um, do you want me to keep going to like the next stage or do you want me to stop there? So, so the surrogate, how, how does she feel about having to get a C-section? Well, she's so, she has such a good attitude about it. Um, I mean, she basically, we knew she was having a C-section from 20 weeks onward, right? Like when she found out about the previa, we knew it was going to be a C-section. So she had like a lot of time to like wrap her brain around it. Um, And she had, she and I talked about it because like I had had a really hard vaginal delivery with my older daughter and she had had a really hard vaginal delivery with her son, apparently. I mean, it was fine and normal, but um she was like I've actually heard like people had been telling her like c-sections were like even maybe a little easier um especially scheduled ones um where you don't do like all the pushing and all the you know so um so she kind of like warmed up to the idea and had like lots of time to like mentally prepare for it and she was like I didn't sign up for this process thinking that I was you know gonna get out you know that I wasn't gonna have to make sacrifices like this so she was great she had a great attitude about it um and she just loved the loved the team that did it so after like after the baby was born she was like in the post-op area for like a long time so I didn't actually get to see her until like much later um so like when I went to see her afterwards it was so the baby was born around like 8 30 or no she was born around nine o'clock and by midnight everyone kind of got settled you know the baby kind of went off to the NICU and um surrogate ended back in her um what do you call it postpartum room and I went to visit her you know a few hours later and she was like we were laughing a little bit because she was saying like the bleeding episode that happened that that predicated this the c-section was horrific apparently they were like out for dinner and she just like it was just like like tons of blood like just like dripping and they were out at a restaurant and with like her boyfriend and his kids and so she like ran back to the car and apparently the blood was like pooling in her shoes um like that's how much blood there was and that apparently her car looked like a crime scene so she said she had sent her boyfriend to go like deal with the car (laughs) because the car was covered in blood um she was like it was crazy but we were I mean we were like laughing about it you know she because we we kind of knew that was coming you know like with previa your placenta is sitting right on top of your cervix and placentas bleed you know like there's all kinds of blood in there so it's so anyway, but she, you know, she was able to get to the hospital super quickly. So she didn't actually, she wasn't actually like that scared. Um, I think her doctor did a really good job mentally preparing her. So 
Um, but yeah, she said the C-section was great. She really liked her nurse anesthetist. And she said at one point she like vomited in the middle of the, of the C-section, but it like, wasn't a big deal. Cause he was like, you're going to feel nauseous. And she's like, I still feel nauseous. And he's like, okay, how about now? And she's like, no, I think I'm going to throw up. And he's like, okay, no big deal. Turn your head to the side. Okay, go ahead, vomit. And she like did. And then she he was like, oh, I feel better now. Oh, okay. So it was like, they were just like in lockstep for her, her, her nurse anesthetist. So yeah, she just said it was a great experience. So- What's so intriguing to me Mm -hmm. is how the psychological part is like for both of you. (laughs) Usually, you're the one giving birth. You have to mentally absorb going through an abdominal surgery, Mm -hmm. being on the drugs, Mm -hmm. baby coming out, Mm -hmm. everything. Mm But in this case, the woman who was doing that was this separate person, Mm -hmm. and she also didn't have to deal with recovering and taking care of a baby Mm -hmm. right after. Exactly. And you didn't have to deal with the recovery. You could just take care of the baby. So Mm -hmm. that is just... Mind-blowing, right? Mind-blowing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Makes total sense, actually. Um, Yeah. Kind of mind blowing. Can you help me? Yeah, because. Can you help me? Can I help you do what? Do this. Oh no! I have to do the podcast. I want you to do it. <laughs> she's doing the a Lego app, and she's trying to build the little toy that they're. Oh. And she needs help. Bean, can I help you after I'm done? No. <laughs> but this the surrogate so what what I as a woman can't wrap my head around mm-hmm. is the mentality of a surrogate. Mm-hmm. Did you have trouble doing that? No. Or is it because you were you were like you knew her so well. I knew at her and I, I knew where she was coming from. And what's really cool is there's like a whole community of surrogates out there that support each other through this. So like and surrogates are all just amazing giving loving women like I've met I've come across so um you can sort of follow there's some really interesting like Instagram accounts of surrogates who are trying like they really care I mean there's a lot of altruism in surrogacy even though they get paid um which they absolutely should get paid but they don't do it for the money I mean the money is great but they really do it because they they like it I mean, they, it is like, it makes them feel so good to do that for people. Um, and they're just, a, they're like a special breed of humans and they're really um, just smart and educated about the whole thing and the complexities of it, right? Like it's a very complex, like interpersonal, like there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics that are super complicated. You know, they've got their own families and their own, you know, husbands or partners Plus they've got, you know, their intended parents, families, partners, kids. And so it's like a lot of kind of deeply interpersonal, you need a, you need a very um, emotionally smart person to be able to handle all those complicated dynamics. And that's, that's who they are. They're emotionally very intelligent and they are very good at just navigating all that complexity. And I mean, I think for them, birth is birth, right? They know it's hard and it's not easy, but they accept that it's part of this journey. 
Um, and even if the baby isn't theirs, it's still like a memorable, exciting, like mountain to climb the same way that like somebody would want to like run a marathon from, from my opinion, <laughs> like, you know, uh, in my opinion, for, for me, I'm like, why would you want to put yourself through that kind of pain for running a marathon? Doesn't seem worth it to me, but to them, like it is, and it, it kind of is, I mean, they are like bringing a human into the world and, um, um, I feel like I, yeah, I got very good, um, one-on-one -on -one contact with my surrogate. So I got to know her really well. And she was very, um, just explained to me a lot about where she was in, in the process and mentally why she did it, why she wanted to do it. Um, and why she doesn't want to keep the baby. Um, like she, she even told me that she might have a little bit of baby fever and might want to have her own baby. Like she didn't think she wanted more kids, but now she's kind of feeling like maybe she does want another one of her own kids. Um, and, uh, yeah, but she always knew she knows it's not her baby and she's doing it because she wanted to do something big with her life at that point in her life. And, and that was what she did. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to wrap your, I think it's hard to wrap your brain around it, but there is a whole community of them and they support each other. And even in this town where we were in Georgia, there's like several surrogates. Um, and I think they all know each other. Um, they don't do it like a million. You can only do it like two or three times. Um, like Max, I don't think my surrogate wants to do it again at all. Um, not that she, not because of all the complications, but I think she's just kind of like, yeah, I wanted to try it and it was great, but you know, <laughs> I'm good now <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's impossible for me to understand. It's, it I is. can understand. Yeah. I, th I think it is, but thank God for those people because people like you who are unable, like physically mm -hmm. gay couples, like yep. totally. It's such a gift. There's so many families out there. It's such a yeah. gift and, um, it's so necessary. Yeah. I love this like peek into it because I think unless you go down that rabbit hole, like you wouldn't know anything about this. I'll, um, if you're, if you're interested, I'll, uh, I'll send you some Instagram accounts that you can dive into and like, yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I've, I've really gotten to know them. And I, I, I was totally dumb to this before I went through this process. I was like, what do you mean? Like, doesn't a surrogate want to keep the baby? And now that I've been through the whole process and like, actually, no, that never happens. Actually. That's like, like what people say when they think of surrogacy, but in reality, that's like never an issue. That's not a thing. Like, it's just not a thing. The surrogate doesn't want the baby. They, they're not doing it for the baby. They, if they wanted the baby, they would just have their own baby. They're people that enjoy pregnancy. They have kids already. They would just have another one of their own babies. They don't want more babies. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. The thing that I couldn't wrap my, I can't wrap <laughs> my head around is like the baby comes out and then you don't necessarily have that connection it, but but it's not for me to understand like that but yeah. yes yeah that's where my brain goes I know it's 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 weird um a lot of surrogates are also egg donors which makes sense um mm -hmm. yeah so you know I I, I mean kind of like I mean I, I think about it sometimes I'm like wow donating eggs seems scary um the thought of it scares me but the thought of it doesn't scare everyone so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so she's four months now. Yeah, yeah. She's and you old. guys are you guys are like 
Well, you're sleeping, which is a way, and you're not recovering from a surgery. Yeah. So well, it's just so um, totally different. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll just finish the part about the, eventually the baby did get whisked off to the NICU um, after about an hour in the nursery, the NICU nurse came back. So I didn't know this, but apparently every C-section there is a NICU nurse present because babies who are born by C-section do not get as good of an opportunity to expel all of the fluid from their lungs um, in the, because the birthing process, something about labor helps release enzymes that help expel fluid from the baby's lungs. Or there's a theory that the baby gets squeezed on the way out of the canal. So the, the fluid comes out of their lungs. Um, and so every time there's a C-section, there's a NICU nurse present. This is what I was told. Maybe I'm not totally, this is what I was told. So the NICU nurse is there to make sure that the baby is breathing fine because all C-section babies can be subject to having this breathing, not like, you know, just some slight difficulties um, because of retained fluid. So, um, so the NICU nurse was there when um, she was born. And then uh, she came back to the nursery and she was like, yeah, she's like doing great, but she's kind of having trouble like breathe. Like she's like, she's working really hard to breathe. She's like, so we're just going to take her back. We're going to get her set up in the NICU. And I was like, okay. I think they were kind of just busting my balls. Like at the part where she was born and they were like, oh my God, she's doing great. We're just sending her to the nursery. Like, instead of being like this baby, like 34 week babies need some time in the NICU. Like that's just like a given. Um, it doesn't mean anything terrible. It's just, uh, so the main issue with um, babies who are born at 34 weeks or just a little, you know, early is that they don't have good suck swallow muscles in their jaw. So they can't feed necessarily right off the bat. So they have to tube feed them for a couple of days until they feel confident that, uh, the baby can like suck from a bottle or can breastfeed. So, um, so, uh, so our baby, um, basically got whisked back to the NICU because she did have some retained fluid in her lungs. So they put her on like a little baby CPAP machine. <laughs> it was really like quite a, quite a device just for like a little CPAP. Um, but it was just sort of like, um, oxygen, not oxygen pressure. So the CPAP puts pressure. Um, she didn't need like a ventilator or anything. Um, so it puts pressure on their lungs, which helps expel the extra fluid, um, and then she had, um, a fe like she had to have a tube and then she had like an IV. So, because when they're on the CPAP machine, they're trying to drain all the fluids. So they don't feed them any food yet. They just feed them fluids through the IV until the CPAP kind of fixes their lungs. So she was born at nine, nine o'clock, nine 30 on Friday. And by 1230, she was like all set up in the NICU. And so I go in and she's all tubed up, you know, she's got tubes in her nose, tubes in her mouth, oh. like sensors everywhere. It was like, it was, it was tough. Um, I knew she was okay. I really felt good that she was okay. I was on the phone to my pediatrician cousin, like while I was waiting for her to get set up and he was like, she's going to do great. And if you need me to talk you through any of the things that are they're doing in that NICU, like just call me, blah, blah, blah. So I knew she was fine. So I go in, she's in a little box, she's all tubed up and it's 1230, it's past midnight. And the NICU nurses are like, she's fine. You should go get some sleep. And I'm like, are you serious? She was born three hours ago. You think I'm going to leave and go get some sleep? But eventually I was like, well, it doesn't really make sense for me to be here. All the babies are sleeping. The NICU is like such a interesting place. I expected it to be full of like crying, like sick babies. It's actually not. It's full of like peaceful, sweet, 
tiny babies that are fine. Oh. Like, I mean, not fine, but like they're, you know, some of them just need extra care. So like the, the NICU nurses, I came to love the NICU and the NICU nurses. Like these women are just lovely. Like their whole job is like feeding and burping and changing little teeny tiny babies. Um, and it was just so cute. Like to see, I mean, I, you don't really go over to the other babies and look at them, but you kind of see from a distance that they're, you know, it's time to feed. They're all on a schedule. They put all the little babies in the NICU on a schedule. So it's like, oh, it's your turn. Now we get you up. We change you. We check your vitals. We feed you. We burp you. We put you back. We swallow you back up. We put you back down. And it's just like, really? And it's like, they do that with the, you know, the 28 weekers, with the 31 weekers, with the 35 weekers, like all the babies there are just, they're full, they're normal babies. They're just little, like they're tiny. <laughs> um, and so we had a, tw- we had a baby next to us that was a twin and his twin had been sent home cause he was doing better. And so he had like a big a in his, cause he was the baby a. Um, and so it was, anyway, there was, it was just really sweet. It was a really cute. I mean, obviously it's a scary, it can be a really scary place, but I spent, we spent 10 days there. She was in there for 10 days. Um, and she got better really fast. So it was like, shh, so that night they set her up. I went home. I tried to sleep, but I didn't. I took a shower. I rolled around in bed, um, trying to sleep, but I didn't. At 8 a.m. I was like, up, oh, ready. I was back at the NICU. Like visiting hours are at 8 a.m. And I'm like knocking on the door and being like, hi, um, I'm here. <laughs> so I get there and they pull her out and she's all tubed and I I held her. Um, that was the first time, well, since I had held her in the in the OR, um, I held her and she was super cute. And I just remember being like, Oh my God, you're just perfect, but you're just really little. (laughs) Like, and she wasn't even that little. She was five pounds, six ounces. They were like, some people have five pound babies at full term, that full term. So, yeah. Um, so, um, but she was just, yeah, she was great. Um, and so she had that CPAP thing for a couple of days, two to three days later, that came off. The IVs came out, the feeding tube came out. It was like one by one, all of the little interventions just came out. And by, you know, seven days in, we were, she was feeding on a schedule and I would come into the NICU and I would do the whole feeding routine with them and put her back down. And then I would leave and then I would come back three hours later and do it again. Um, And then they discharged her. She was pretty much fine from day seven. She was feeding like from a bottle completely. Um, And they discharged her at seven, seven days old. And it was really really sweet. My mom flew out, um, to help me bring her home. So, so her dad flew out the night she was born. So her dad showed up the next morning. And so he was there in the next morning in the NICU and he stayed for a couple of days and then left. And then my mom flew out the day before she was discharged. And then we, we brought her home to the Airbnb. It was like, so funny because I like, I messaged the Airbnb woman being like, Hey, do you have a pack and play by any chance? She's like, Oh, there's already one in the closet. And I was like, Oh, perfect. So I set up a pack and play. I set up a little baby station in the in the airbnb so brought her home from the hospital and popped her in her little pack and play and um spent the next two days i had been i ended up spending about three and a half weeks out there altogether. um and so then we spent the next like 48 hours just cleaning up the airbnb and packing and then we went to the airport and flew flew her home (laughs) um and you know everybody was like everybody was like oh like um that baby's really little. Like how, how old is she? And I was like, Oh, 10 days. They're like, Oh, are you okay? And I was like, no, I actually didn't give birth to her. Um, I'm picking her up from, from her surrogate. And a lot of people, like some people like didn't really know how to handle that, but like we were sitting next to this woman on the plane 
that um, was kind of like, oh, like your baby's so little, you're traveling with her. And I was like, oh no, like she was actually born in Georgia, like by a surrogate. And she was like, oh, so you're bringing her home. That's so cute. And I was like, yes. Like, so it's like some people kind of got it. Like some people were like, that's weird, you know, but that's, I'm still dealing with that. Like I, you know, I'll be dealing with that for, I think as long as she's a baby, I think it'll, you know, it keeps coming up, right. Whenever you have a baby, people want to ask you about your birth and, and that's fine. I'm totally cool with it. I'm totally open about it. As you see, I love sharing the story. I love telling the story. And so people are usually interested in it. So, I mean, I tell everyone who wants to hear about it. So, but it's like, I joined a mom's group, um, like a second time mom's group. And it was like four other moms in the group. And first day we show up and I'm like, I'm, I actually didn't give birth to her and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, it's, it's hard, it's, you know, people, whatever it is what it is, but, um, it's just part of the story. So, um, so yeah, that was the, the NICU part of the journey, which actually ended up being lovely. And every, I think every baby should spend a few days in the NICU. They get them on a schedule. They like, they show you how to do the stuff. They teach you like, I did it all, like, all wrong with my daughter. I like brought her home. I was like, what do I do with this thing? It's crying. I don't know. Feed it. Change. I don't know. But in the NICU, they're like, no, no, just put her down. She's good. Let her sleep. And then, you know, when it's her turn, we come around, we change her, we feed her. And, you know, it's just like, everything was so like, like methodical and nobody freaked out about anything. And I was like, this is the best experience ever. I wish my older daughter had had a few days in the NICU. Um, so it just like, we got out of there. We were on a schedule. We were on a rhythm. Um, so yeah, that was, that part of it was, was really nice. Yeah. You know, they send the baby home with the mom the first time you're just like zero idea. Why do they do that? How to take care of a baby. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's great. It is really nuts. Even, even in these baby friendly hospitals, they send the baby in the room with you and they're like, yeah, you figure it out. Um, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, so I was really grateful to have the, the NICU support for this one. What is it, little bean? Oh. I want you to make breakfast. You want me to make you breakfast? Aww. Yeah, we can do breakfast. Yeah. We can do it. Nina, I'm so happy for you. I'm happy that this all turned out. It was a little stressful in there, and I cannot even imagine. Because... <laughs> I get so anxious myself. Yeah. So I'm so glad there's a happy ending and you guys are a family of four now. And it's just, now it's just life. Yeah. So totally just life. I will say I highly recommend four year age gap between kids. Like I cannot imagine like uh, the moms in my mom's group, they have two and a half year olds, three year olds. Mm. And Mm. I, I, the four year old has done swimmingly we're having some she's having some issues lately but you know there's no I'm hearing about like regressing on the potty training regressing on like all kinds of things like and so we haven't had too big a drama mainly just the sleeping arrangement in our house has gone out the window which I would like to change (laughs) but um but yeah it's been good um I think I think the four-year age gap turned out to be was not what we planned but it's what we got and seems to be okay I love it. Yeah. And I love that we have um, in the show notes, there's going to be a link to the first part of the story for the listeners if they want to listen to it in one piece. Sure. And um, yeah, I'm very happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been a long, it's been a long, 
long road. And I'm super happy if anybody ever has questions about surrogacy or any of that, I'm an expert now, so. Uh, Nina, I am so grateful to be privy to like all this stuff happening in your life and be able to interview you and ask you all these questions and have known you for many years too because I, I knew her from, from dancing many, many years ago. So I appreciate you um, coming on here and I wish you all the best uh, juggling those kiddos um, and, then, and then a work life. So uh, my friends, my listeners, uh, check it out, roll it out, go to the show notes, also have a lot of free things, uh, you know, three, three video masterclass series, uh, beginner intermediate silks, uh, three video master series on aerial rehab and uh, straddle in three ways, a bunch of little videos. Yeah, it's all for you, you guys there. I did it for all of you. Um, so would love to have you check out Greener Grass. Oh, you found it. Good job. It was in the desk. You guys know when you're looking for something and you can't find it. And then days later, you found it. That's just what happened now. Um, where was I? Greener grass. Check it out. Me and Kelly gabbing about all types of things, including my, my IUD, including all of my health stuff, including everything. Check it out. Uh, indigenous podcast, health and wellness um, stories there. So, uh, yeah, please honor me with a five-star rating and review. And uh, see you guys next time. This is me saying over and out. This is the Expecting Your Podcast on the Digital